Hey, everybody, we're talking to Devin Marks today. What an amazing guy. He's a husband, a dad, a trainer, a speaker, a coach. Has some incredible stories related to TED Talks. He's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Last 10%. I am Dallas Burnett in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers barber chair. But more importantly today, we have a great guest. His name is Devin Marks. He's also known as the TED Talk Whisperer. He has been the coach of one of the greatest TED Talks ever downloaded by Dr. Waldinger, Welcome to the show, Devin. Hey, thanks so much, Dallas. It's a joy to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show. We have just, uh, we've had some great conversations already around communication and all the things that you're doing. I've been following you for a while on LinkedIn and the different, the different ideas that you share. It's just fantastic. So this has been, this is just a pleasure to get to talk to you today. Thank you. Looking forward to unpacking that 10% in the leadership communication. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us this. So what is it like? What is it like to coach and to give a TED Talk? Tell us about that because everybody's seen TED Talks, but tell us what it's like to actually step on that stage. Let me speak to why a TED Talk is not a sermon, not a keynote, not an employee all hands, not a venture capital pitch. Mm. Although some of the TED Talk tools can make those all better, but a TED Talk is distinctly and uniquely its own thing for seven factors, right? I won't go into all seven right now, right. but we all think immediately of the countdown clock. Mm. Ted innovated in the conference space by introducing an 18-minute limit, and now it's shorter and shorter. So that's wow. number one. Now, to stand and deliver in 18 minutes or 12 minutes, word-for-word -word delivery, because you only have so much time to get your point across and you can't wander, that's an intense process of rehearsal, refinement, iteratively feedback looping in a distinct way that is why TED Talks at their highest level are so captivating and spreadworthy. There are a lot of TEDx talks out there that are not. And right. that's some of these factors, if you Ooh. will. So tell us about some of the, tell us about what's the topic some of your clients that have spoken on in TED, in TED Talks and things that have been the most compelling. Sure. Well, you referenced Dr. Robert Waldinger's Good Life talk, bestseller called The Good Life. And his looked at the longitudinal study, 80 years now, that has explored happiness and health in the lives of men and their spouse and families. Started out male only, though, in 1930s with a Harvard cohort, a class that was actually JFK's class. Wow. And they those students to the present, their full lifespan, and measured everything in their world, the size of their head, when they thought that mattered, their blood type, their personality, their cholesterol. And all of that barrage of results culminated in three insights that really are the differentiators in the lives of men and families mm. in terms of happiness, longevity, acuity. That's a fascinating one out of Harvard Medical all by itself. Wow. But, you know, you ask about other. Colin Stokes is a three-time TEDxer, focuses on family and parenting. He's grappled with the issues of, of race and equality. He's grappled with the issues that are raising a daughter in a culture that impacts her sense of self-worth. Interestingly, when they saw his TED Talk that looked at cinema and how women are marginalized and second classed in that environment, Disney saw his talk, flew him in to the studios to talk about a reframing of a new 
movie. That wow. little movie was frozen. Oh, wow. How about so the that? Ted Talks and Ted on our culture and our priorities and values is unfathomable because every topic under the sun now is a TED Talk. They may have started with technology, entertainment, and design themes, but they've expanded to tying your shoes and meditating in space. Oh, that's amazing. So tell us this. I'm very fascinated to know, like when you engage someone, how do you get them from like where they are and close that gap to excellent TED Talk? Because I mean, you're obviously the TED Talk whisperer. You're the leading expert in terms of being able to get someone to be able to deliver this great TED Talk. It seems like it's a very, I don't know. How do you even, how do you even get to that part? I've always been a structural process mind. And so when I first fell in love with TED, it was before TEDx happened. It was before those who didn't attend the conference for the most part, right. they really hadn't heard of it. YouTube had just started celebrating in views these TED Talks. And so I found an academic environment, a seminary, actually, at Asbury Theological, and I wanted to unpack why I call it the secular church of ideas, TED. Right. Uh, oh. <laughs> was becoming so impactful. And um, wait a minute, let's just pause for a second there. You just said something pretty amazing. You went to seminary to unpack ideas on TED talks. Now, did you go into this seminary and they look at you like like sideways and be like, um, do you know, do you know where you are and what you're staying <laughs> or were they open yeah, to this? You know, it's a family tradition. This is a company town, two streetlights and Asbury Theological Seminary on one side of the street, Asbury University on the other side of the street. Ah, okay. Never attended Asbury, both sides of the street. My grandfather, both sides of the street. Great granddad was on the board direct. You know, it just reaches back a long way. And I was the black sheep who had never been called to the foot of the cross, right? Uh, okay. um, I enrolled though, not to be jump into the pulpit. I enrolled to, again, deconstruct these secular sermons or lectures that were really life-changing. Right. And I found one maverick professor in the Christian leadership program who said, huh, ideas worth spreading. He'd never seen a TED talk until I sat down with him. And <laughs> well, he was, and at that point he was probably the second person in Wilmore who yeah. never heard. <laughs> Most people when he went uninitiated in the land of Ted asked, who's Ted? When will I meet him? Oh you know? man. Oh, in any case, when he watched that first talk, he was captivated. And then he said, you know, ideas worth spreading. That sounds like a gospel charter we can work with. Mm. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to unpack it in an independent study over the course of a number of semesters. Now, I should asterisk and say, I never graduated. I'm a seminary dropout. <laughs> when I got halfway through the program, we moved to Boston. The insights from that study just blew up the TED community. Wow. And never look back seven years odd now. How about now, that? That's asked about the process. I like to say we need a thought leader, an engineer, a CEO, whether to a TED stage or a TED style stage in through four phases. Pre-idea to center stage can take about 90 days. Oh, Some wow. people extend it a good six months. The rehearsals here are Cirque du Soleil level, right? Oh, wow. I have a couple of Cirque performer buddies and... They say your speakers actually go through more than we do. That's not accurate, but it's heavy lift. So idea to center stage, three months, six months, and it can be as concentrated as three weeks for a non-style TED delivery. I'm sorry, for a, a TED-style non-TED talk. Right. A convocation. Right. The CEO of Christianity Today a couple of years ago was three weeks from Houghton College, happy graduation speech. And he said, you know, kids these days, you call them the TED Talk generation. Mm. And that's not somebody with an age, that's somebody holding any iPhone, right? We're all of the TED Talk generation in a way. If we've absorbed the TED style in our viewing, in our idea sharing. And he said, I want to reach that, that crew. I want to reach mm. those younger folks. So let's do a TED style convocation. Wow. And it was a, a pretty intense three weeks. That's a really but, good, that's a really good point right though, you made just now about how Ted, do you feel like that Ted talks have changed the expectations that individuals have on speakers? Like, you know, when you think about a convocation or a graduation speech and I mean, you kind of 
have the the normal get up and thank you and we've had you know this great experience or do your best kind of thing hoorah do you feel like the TED Talks has changed that to where the to engage an audience now you really have to bring a higher level of performance in terms of your messaging really great question your perception nailed the differentiator that is TED mm. versus the sermon pastor that was a great sermon we say heading to the parking lot but I saw Brene Brown last night she was so much better yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but seeing you know, so and so, you just gave an incredible all hands. I think the troops got it. I know I did. The graphics were incredible. The deck was thorough. But I saw Simon Sinek with his little sketch, and it's so much. You oh know, man, totally unfair what we do. But here's why, Dallas. TED Talks collectively. If you go to TED.com, there are 4,300 of the most sculpted, rehearsed, refined, perfected ideas worth spreading in the history of modern man. That's TED.com, not to be confused with a minor league, TEDx, right? right? Major. So when the New York Yankees are playing the Boston Red Sox on TED.com, so to speak, that's 4,300 talks, but they're really only viewing the top 200 or so intensively. Right. And their last stat I heard was 3 billion collective talk views a year of TED. So they're tens of billions over the last decade. And what that has done is it has indoctrinated in a whole generation, again, anyone holding an iPhone and watching YouTube, to expect a Ted Caliber delivery at that employee all hands, mm -hmm. in that sermon, in even a venture capital pitch. That is intense. That's intense, but it's so true. You have to almost expect that, I think, going into it because the, there's the proliferation of Ted and also the stickiness of the ideas, like you said, the ideas worth sharing. It's It seems like the really good TED speakers just have a way, probably after talking with you for quite some time, of distilling down the essence of that, whatever that communication that they're trying to get across. They just, they have a way of distilling it down to some simple truth and conveying that in such a short period of time to where you can remember it. Like you mentioned, Simon Sinek and Brene Brown. Like you can just see whether it's a flip chart doc that Simon Sinek is writing on about trust or Brene Brown and like a messaging thing. It's just, they just have it. Like they've just, and obviously they've worked very hard to refine their speech. But like, I do think that's true that people maybe miss sometimes the impact, like how much they, time they should be spending on communication and to make it oh, meaningful. Yeah. Oh yeah. Table ante. Um, we can just assume the majority of your listeners are not putting as much time as they should or could into their next presentation because they're busy, they're pressed, they're stressed, they're flying, they're looking at the deck as they're landing. All of that doesn't lend itself to a Cirque du Soleil delivery where you are playful with the content and responding to the audience. Now, That's now, what now you were saying I, before the show that you had a client that actually used your method to actually change their marketing message. Tell us about, I'm going to tee you up on this. Tell us about the Correct. client, what they're, what they've done and who they are. And cause everybody's going to know, and then tell us what you would like to share about that method. So I'd love to get into that some more as well. So there's a startup, little startup that during the pandemic enjoyed huge attention because it was the Peloton of rowing and still is really wow. hydro. So Hydro's CEO came to me initially to, to work on a TED Talk. But as their Series A funding began to willow and they were getting down to fumes, his priorities changed. And one of his priorities was, gosh, I got to get that next round, the Series B funded. I've got this venture capital team that I'm going to be flying in to eat crab legs with, but I'll have a couple minutes. Good well, gracious. Think about how those two minutes should be story structured so that they are sticky, but also clearly focused and action igniting. And so we took those three principles, you know, and began reshaping their story and pitch fundamentally changed. And to this day, Bruce Smith says that engagement with the Mark's messaging method, we call it now, is what made all the difference in their Series B. They raised 200 million. <laughs> I hope that I hope that he hired you again for a TED Talk because that was worth that that juice was worth the squeeze. I can assure you. 
Oh my goodness. So the CEO comes to you for a TED talk. He then starts running out of money because their funding yeah. is drying up and he's getting to the end of his cycle. He needs to go out raise again. Literally, and I'm not talking out of school. He's been generous telling the story, tying me into it, but he's, he was literally refreshing his resume. Oh man. Headed to California. He had two documents, the pitch that we worked on and his resume. <laughs> Such is the life of an entrepreneur. Yeah. Goodness gracious. You referenced um, repeat work. The reality is a TED Talk is one heavy lift, but the TED messaging method or the Mark's messaging method, it's odd to say out loud now, is that tool set from the public speaking tool shed that's uniquely TED that works in every context. So one of my clients, he's coming... We actually just engaged when I'm coming back to work with him on a fourth presentation. He's an executive at a multi-billion dollar foundation. And to kick off his next summit, he wants a definitive TED style message. It's in the faith at work space. So okay. bringing your faith to work and that not being just a Sunday thing, but a Sunday through Monday, Friday, Saturday thing. Okay. And the, again, four different events over the last five, six years. That's a joy because wow. I know how Chris moves and pulses and what his strengths are, and what his weaknesses are and how his process works. Wow. Uh, other clients put us on retainer and it's this podcast interviews happening with potential funders, this employee all hands, this annual, or this summit at South by Southwest where everybody is right now. That's amazing. That's so fascinating. I do love the picture though, because when you made that comment about he had two documents with him and going out to California, he had two documents. I just feel like there's such power that one document was a reflection of everything he had done. And one document was very clear and action oriented and of what he was going to do and what he mm. could do. And I think we can see the, the which one had the most value. And I, at least at that moment. And I think that for him, he's probably excited that he only had to, he had to use the first one and not the second. But I think that just speaks so much and to the power, especially when you were talking about all the repeat clients and how people engage with you. Tell us a little bit about how you helped him craft, not only that pitch, but like their whole, that whole messaging of their company is what's your, what's that What's that method that you use to that, that a leader at a, let's say you're leading a team or mm -hmm. you're leading an organization, like you're saying, people don't take enough time to reflect and think about how they're communicating and the content of what they're communicating to their audience. What are some nuggets that you could give to our listeners as it relates to preparing for this an important communication? I'd like to say those three tools, again, Ted took all the tools in the public speaking shed, spread them out on the table. Threw away a few, which were dated and Dale Carnegie meets Toastmasters and feel. Started customizing a few and then 3D printed a couple new ones, right? And all of those don't apply in a non-TED environment, but right. three do. And those three break down at different levels in different ways. But those three in summary are, you want to be clearly focused in the TED style. I'll explain right. what that means. You want to be story wrapped. And that story needs to be sticky. So what are the elements that need to be structured and present in your story that sculpt it and rehearse? And then the action igniting in the TED style, I always say it's not boil the ocean, save the whales, remove the plastic from the ozone layer, whatever that is. It's a lot more simple. And I borrow this from seminary and homiletics, right? It's the fancy word for preaching. Mm. The sermon on Sunday is life-changing in baby steps. Hmm. They call it the application of the sermon. How are you going to apply these lessons from Sunday to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? And it can't be world and life-changing because next Sunday we got another sermon with other applications. So what we're talking about are, I say metaphorically, baby steps that are winnable wins. Hmm. We walk up to the water's edge. I'm holding my daughter's hand. And I see a piece of plastic and I pick it up. And I invite her to pick. I pick up another. She picks it up. But down the way, I see someone else watching us and they begin to pick up that plastic. So right. it's a winnable win. It's a repeatable win. It's a shareable win. It even can become a habit forming win. 
I love that. Skip back to clearly focused. Everybody thinks we all have a definition of what it be, means to be clearly focused and involve a story and a call to action. Right? Sure. For Toastmasters level public speaking. But Ted breaks down what clearly focused means into five steps. Let's talk about two right now. Too often, there's not a through line in a message. Too often, the big idea is unwieldy and unclear and thus not transferable, not spreadable. Mm. Not st- right. Dr. Robert Waldinger's talk, we spoke to 44 million views, top 10 of all time TED Talks in the history of the organization, wow. was successful for a number of reasons. One was he was clearly focused as he communicated the through line of that 12 minute message on the TED stage. He said, The good life is built with good relationships. Now, do you feel the pulse in that? The Tell me about the good life. How old do I live it? And what are good relationships? Crosses our mind. The good life is built with good relationships. That took months to sculpt and refine down to something so simple and such common sense. Uh, But that TED-style process of rehearsals and iteratively refining, that's the product. Now, the second principle in clearly focusing your message is this. We are not going to remember 7, 11, and 14 things. No. An audience. Yes. We are going to remember five or fewer. And really, we call it in the trade, the rule of three. Because we're indoctrinated from our earliest days. The three wise men meets the three musketeers. I came, I saw, I conquered. Threes are how we process and spread. You know, so I've actually, so, I've actually, I hate to stop you right there, but that's a fascinating concept in and of itself, because I was reading some studies. This was years ago. I was, as a different life in music, but... Sure. There was there's studies that that actually look at threes in music and how the beats, even the syncopation of a song in threes are more popular than other songs with different beats. So that that three concept, it's like transcendent. It is it's not just number one. That's the phone numbers or you can remember phone numbers when it's broken up in three, three and four. And so the beats of a song, you're more likely to be drawn to. I read that years ago if it was in these certain threes. And so fascinating concept. And I'm tracking 100 percent. That is that's totally, totally true. And so how many times do we stand in front of an audience and we're just clicking through the deck to remind us what we're going to say, but there's not that fundamental structure, the through line and the discipline to limit your points to three to five or fewer, Mm. right? Some other tools like that are part of being clearly focused in the TED stock. Now we spoke to action igniting. Let me skip back to that. Dr. Waldinger's talk was a huge research data set that should be life-changing. Again, don't boil the whales, baby steps. And so what did he suggest to his audience? This is Harvard Medical Research. Take long walks together. (laughs) (laughs) Call that family member you've been scrapping with and make peace because that stress in a man's life causes some cardiovascular damage, but it also tends to be damage we backfill and self-medicate with alcohol or who knows what. Mm. All of that can shorten a man's life. Now, what were his three key points? Remember, life is built with good relationships. Close quality relationships matter. That's our spouse, our kids, our parents. Yeah. And those general community relationships matter just as much. That's our bowling league, our softball team, our small group at church. Those two factors combine to make a man's life richer and fuller and longer. And his third point was it even improves your memory and your longevity and acuity. Now, obviously, walk horse can cause some issues with Parkinson's or Alzheimer's and genetics are part of that. Sure. But down longitudinal data that was dramatically obvious in the lives compared between men who leaned into relationships and connectivity. What is that all about? That's vulnerability. That's quality time together. The marriage and the home life and the community life are in great shape. Don't we find that the life is longer, fuller, and richer? I think that's such a, I mean, I just love that. Now I've got to like, I'm going to go back and listen to his talk and I've got to go and find that no, study because I'm just, that's so good. And it's so true. I find this, we, we talk a lot on the show about coaching and developing talent and 
one of the things that we did it we've done it think we've Travis developed this coaching system with the one-on-one app and the crazy thing is that it was developed at a company and for a company the original company that launched was 92% male it was owned by a female but it was 92% mm-hmm. male and what's fascinating is the pushback by some people that was initial in terms of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have these one-on-one conversations. This is awkward. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, there was just this real tension within the organization between certain different branches or offices or people or even within certain teams. Yeah. And it was just like, they didn't want that, but there was no way there was no way to get around that. There was no way to traverse that unless you lean in, unless you, like you said, lean into relationships even if it's uncomfortable, even if you don't want to do that, unless you lean into it, you just you just are not going to to be able to cross it. So one of the cool things was after we we put this coaching system in and they moved through it, we just saw mm-hmm. we just saw we just saw people have better relationships. But then all of a sudden there was all these other impacts through the company that came greater innovation, and it was some ideas that came up that came out of nowhere. It came from people yeah. that were already frustrated. So. I do feel like I could totally see that. Like I could totally see how that research would be spot on because in my experience, when we launched that first system, it's one of the reasons that we continued to build it out is because of the success we had in that launch. But it was all about guys who originally weren't relationship oriented. They're technical. They got their, their engineers, they got their hands, they're turning wrenches and they love it. And that's great. Men tend to be tactile and what, but that doesn't say that we can't lean into relationships and that's not an important part of our existence and uh, just sparked a couple thoughts a couple tumblers just fell into place for me in a leadership context of course the 10 percent difference yeah right let me speak first though to the rehearsals and it'll put context for what i just realized about leadership so i said cirque du soleil level performance you can't bring that to every employee all hands right the 10 state means that it's not fully necessary to be fully scripted word for word in the non-TED environment, but rehearsing at a higher level with this focus and these stories and this call to action model, that worked powerfully. I always say in the TED context, we're reaching for a Cirque du Soleil level of delivery where you're playful with the audience, playful with the content, not to be confused with the dance with the stars level, Mm. where it's beautiful and captive until it's not. And then they correct them. They're beautiful and captivating again. What is that Dallas? I think that's the 10%. It is the last 10%. Absolutely. That's the difference. So something that you shared really resonated strongly, both with my servant leadership, the master's work and Ted, but relationships, I never connected the dots before. Ken Blanchard wrote a powerful book about servant leadership. Hmm. And he, an image that he painted so that you could understand the levels of leadership was not a vertical model. It was a radiating circular model. Mm. In the center of that was self-leadership. That's mm. where we start. Many of us, frankly, give that short shrift, don't Yeah, we? yeah. No, I think that's true. Another season in my life where I, the next level is relational leadership, one-on-one. In the family context, that's your spouse. In your work context, that's your direct report. Or then there was team leadership or family leadership, he called. Then there was community and organizational, right? So these radiating circles, they build on one another. That's right. It was a huge takeaway. If you have given short shrift to family leadership, it will bite you in the ass. Yeah, yeah. When, you're, yeah. when your kids aren't speaking to you, when you're alone on the holidays and when you're emotionally broken because of the mistakes you made when you had the opportunity to be a servant leader in your family. Absolutely. That's like undercut your stock price, your relationships that work, the progress the initiative makes or doesn't because you're distracted. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients. 
but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. Get the self-leadership, the relational leadership, the family leadership right. Then you're ready to begin considering organizational and community leadership levels. I think that's so true. And I think the value of that cannot be, you know, overstated. I was having a conversation the other day Mm -hmm. about new leaders and how Mm -hmm. these, how new leaders should be invested in first, because most people work under that first tier of leader. There's just a huge pool of team members in larger organizations, especially that are managed by that, that first level. And so most of the people are managed by these new leaders and yet they don't invest as much as they should. But if you're a new leader or if you're a young leader, if you have any leadership capacity in any organization, whether it's formal or informal, the biggest focus, I think, to what you just said in terms of Ken Blanchard's servant leadership type is the responsibility that you have to work on yourself. That's first. And the second thing is that you better be able to sit down with someone and work on developing one-on-one ability, because if you can't do it one-on-one, all you're doing when you're speaking and leading a team is leading a bunch of individuals. You can't spend that same amount of time with each person, but you in a sense are because you're leading that, you're leading that team just like you would lead yourself, just like you would lead in a one-on-one relational conversation. You're consistent. I think another point you made earlier is that study pointed out that if you have, and you just said it too, it's like if you're doing well at home, you're going to be less distracted at work. You're one person. You're, you're that same servant leader in the office, at the church, or at home, or in a civic organization, whatever that is. And so if there's any one component that you're just neglecting severely, it ripples through all of them and just can, it can really hamper your ability to lead well. Yeah. And, you know, I was making some notes as you were talking because, again, this conversation, my thank you walk away from this conversation, Dallas, is I have never interrelated Dr. Waldinger's good life research with the leadership principles of servant leadership in, a, in such a clean way. Now, what happens if we cut short our personal leadership, our family leadership, and cut corners. That's Bernie Ebers at WorldCom. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's the gal at Theranos. Yes. Great oh, communicators, powerful communicators, but the core work hadn't been done. That's Enron. One of my clients is the whistleblower of Enron. Oh. And he unpacked what was so messy and such a reflection of lack of personal leadership, lack, destructive family relationships, and what that did um, rippling through the organization. I and I bet that. we're going to, it unpacks with FTX and the hairy goofball. Oh, the, uh, yeah. That's going to play out well. <laughs> Maybe you'll get a few TED speakers out of that whole mess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's so true. And it's, um, it's, I would say, you know, I just was thinking of this, but we're having a great idea session here, but I would, if I was to term that, is the difference between servant leadership, I don't think, and the other side of that coin, it's not, it's not self-leadership, it's what I would call hollow leadership, because there's some of the circles in the center of that radiant sphere that are missing. They're just, yep. they, they haven't, like you said, they haven't been developed. So it's servant. It's the opposite of servant leadership in my mind is something I would refer to as hollow leadership. They have the capability. They have the. They can speak well. They're so smart. They've risen in the ranks. They're ambitious, but they're hollow. And there's just something missing on that self side and that individual side. They can't be vulnerable. They can't lean into relationships. And I'm sure if you looked at some of those, like Enron, and I guarantee you that you would find the individual relationships were in as just as much of a wreck as companies, but they were probably wrecked before. 
And it just took a little bit of while to ripple out. Dallas, I get a lot of ideas every week, 30 or 40 ideas, and many of them are good. Mm -hmm. And what I'm looking for are the kernels in an idea that make me intrigued and leave me wanting to hear more. And then that good idea can get sculpted, rehearsed, refined into a great idea that's Ted worthy. Mm. You said something, if it's original, you connect the dots. This concept of hollow leadership. Yeah, that's that's a glowing breadcrumb towards it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're copywriting this episode. This is that we're sh- we're shutting this thing down, and we're gonna go make us a TED talk, man, because that just that was the visual picture that I got when you were talking. That's what came to my mind. So maybe we'll yeah. we'll take that, that kernel and run with it. That's so fun. Oh, that's awesome. Dream. So now you asked how does the process work yeah. in the servant leadership theme here? Pre idea. Or they have the idea. A client comes to me and we begin milling that idea through a discrete six-step process. And that idea may not be the one that ends up on stage. At some point during that milling, we may go, let's pull another sticky note off the whiteboard because it probably ate up there. And let's start milling and refining that. Once we're ready, we hang it on the classic TED Talk outline that addresses the tendency experts have or leaders have to cram a lot of information and knowledge into their presentation. That drink with a fire hose, how many yeah. times have you heard that <laughs> apology? Yeah. That is a, not an apology, it's a confession that they didn't want to take the time and work to make this a present, mm. a presentation to the audience. Mm. But idea to outline is module one. Module two is outline to scripting scripting to rehearsals to stay. Now, all of those sound like familiar terms to John Maxwell public speaking graduates. They are familiar terms, but again, with TED, they're always a little tweaked or completely different. Let's talk scripting. We don't start at the top of a Microsoft Word document or a yellow pad or a deck in Keynote and begin, it was a dark and stormy night. Opening story. Big idea. Key right. point one, two, three, rousing call to action, looping back to that story to bring them to their feet. <laughs> it may flow that way. All right. It may. But what has happened is a lot of that curse of knowledge and expertise has been shed because you can only hang them on so many hooks in the TED method. Sure. Now, the scripting, we actually begin in the middle of the script. The core of the message, key point one, key point two, key point three, are they aligned? Hmm. balance and emphasis that does justice to all three. I like to say building a message temple. So there's a roof, right? A dome, picture a Greek temple. That's the big idea we're spreading. The good life is built yeah. with good relationships. Yeah. The supporting columns are the key points. Yeah. Those need to be the same density, same height, same width. So there's momentum building and moving that big idea forward. Unfortunately, what too many speakers do is they start at the top and they want to get, it was a dark and stormy night, perfect. Then they coast through the middle and they think about that close. Those are reminders. And then bring them to their feet and lock them in to take action. What you've done is you've sapped the core of your message right Mm. there. The value, you've got their attention at the wrong spot. So you bring them in and then... Like you said, the real value of the message is right there in the middle with those three columns that's holding everything up and you've bled everybody's energy off in the beginning and so that you, they may gloss over during the main part or you don't I mean, connect. Sometimes the amateur hour in coaching and public speaking advice is nail that opening. You've got to hook them and hold them. No, that attention span cycles again and again through a 15-minute presentation, even mm-hmm. a five-minute presentation. There are a couple cycles there. So we want to build the content to meet that rhythm Mm. and continue to sink them deeper into a buy-in and lean-in context. Yeah. When I'm standing at the edge of a TED stage and that Cirque du Soleil level work has been done, at some point, not every time, but when it happens at the most special and powerful level, the speaker is leaning in and sharing her idea we're spreading. And the audience is leaning in, connecting with her in that idea but they're spreading it by tweeting it right there. No, the elevator is going to be a buzz. The lunchroom is going to be a buzz with that through line and those key points instead of what was the talk about? We had a story about his childhood that was really vulnerable. And I liked that 
And, uh, you know, he said the third quarter matters, mm. right? No, there's there, the work hadn't been done to be clearly focused, story wrapped in action igniting. When you describe that, I just see it's almost like when you're painting that visual, when you're standing there at the stage and you're just seeing someone that has rehearsed and just really refined and refined. And then when they deliver, it's just captivating and the audience is just right there in the palm of their hands. To me, that is just like any other work of art. You just were describing this masterpiece where this artist has refined and refined their style and then they just lay out this canvas and then the, everybody in the museum comes by and says, I just, need to t I just need to take that in. And they just can't not take it in. They just have to take love it in. Dimension. I love yeah. it, man. I love the way you define that. That's, it's a powerful, it's just, it's powerful. It's just very powerful. It is. And the result, it's powerful to witness, but the results drive, this approach drives results, we like mm. to say. If you're, and actually, let me offer, if your listeners want to unpack these three concepts a little bit mm -hmm. more, mm -hmm. there's a resource that's available on the website. Go to connecttocompel.com, connecttocompel.com, and you'll see pretty quickly a button that says drive results. Okay. Click there, your email, and you'll get a PDF that unpacks these three principles and pairs each one with a TED talk so that wow. you can lay out on stage. Oh, that's and great. It begins a conversation. A pharmaceutical executive recently had me in Las Vegas for that big breakout conference health 2022 moment. His company was new to the U.S. market and they wanted to bring a clear understanding and message to the audience of what to do next. And this marked messaging method was the approach we used. That's was so cool. But it drove results powerfully for them. I, I just love that. We will definitely put that address in our show notes. So if you're listening to this episode and you didn't catch that first time around, you don't even have to back up the episode. We'll drop it in the show notes because we definitely want you to connect with uh, some really great resources on that. And that just sounds like it would be just fantastic. And, and, and Devin, I, I really like the fact that it's a clear system and that you're connecting the system with the points of the message of, of those main ideas to actual TED Talks so that people can understand and really relate to what they're trying to do. And I just think that the that our, we live in such a connected society. We live in such a connected world. If you are leading a team, if you're leading an organization, you have got to know that people in your team and organization are going out and listening to these TED Talks. And so if you didn't hear it anywhere else, Absolutely. Hear it from me and Devin. You've got to up your game as it relates to communication. You've got to up your game as it relates to connecting relationally with your teams, whether that's in messaging. I mean, like when we talk about this too, as, as far as leadership, one of the things that you know, we've got, and this is another thing, I just, I'm getting off track here, but it's, it's, it's worth it. So when I hear the nuance that you use and the approach that you use, it is you have put so much time into developing this and studying you could say ted talks but it's just this way of connecting with people through through messaging and it's its own thing it's almost like a songwriter is just going back and crafting over i'm connecting here and look at this verse there so i love your process step on that one of the things though that for leaders in this next book we've got come out lift is that we are one of the ways that you one of the tools that you have to change and shift your culture Maybe you've just been promoted over a team that's just in just not good. They're just maybe they have a bad attitude. Maybe they don't. They lack some fundamental skill or capability. Maybe they're just misaligned. Maybe they have poor perspectives. Whatever it is, maybe you've just bought a company. Maybe you've started a company and you realize that maybe there's some work to do with intentionality and changing the culture. One of the tools and levers that you have in the tool bag to do that is reminders. And people don't, people think of that word reminder and it's, oh, this must be this, must be like a calendar reminder. No, it, reminders are future-oriented things. They're, that's telling you something that's coming in the future. And leaders have to be really good at talking to their employees, talking to their teams, whether they're, team, whether they're a team leader or an organization leader, you've got to be really good if you want to inspire people, which, by the way, makes them more engaged and more productive. If you want to inspire people, you've got to be really good at reminding them why we are doing what we are doing, where we are going, being able to paint a clear picture of what that is and how we're going to get there. If you cannot summarize those ideas and communicate them as many times as Ford Trucks tells you you need a Ford F-150 during a Super Bowl, 
then you're missing it. And so I think that your program, whether it is for a TED Talk or whether it is for communicating at a summit or whether it is just some important messaging that you need to craft for your organization to make sure everybody's on the same page because I can't align people in an organization if I don't have a clear message that they can align around. So yeah, I just love, I think your tool set is so valuable because it could help leaders of organizations do just that. So I'd encourage everybody to go to that website. Well, in Dallas, thank you. But you said something there. One of the challenges is the alignment inside an organization that's undergoing change. You said changing the culture. What are we talking about there? We're talking about changing the narrative. We're talking mm. about a story changing. That's right. And so when we talk about a sticky story as a new leader or as an organization that's going in a new direction because the leader team decided that's the case, mm. that has to be communicated out in a way that's not directives, but involves buy-in yes. and it's so communicated that it's sticky and the language translates and ripples. So I always say in, in designing a sticky message, a sticky story, we need to consider what the story is going to be of the story when we're not in the room. Oh, so, I like that. Oh, I like that. Like We were anticipating how that venture capital decision maker was going to communicate to his team what the story was of Hydro and why they needed to collectively fund it. Because Bruce wasn't going to be in that second and third generation story sharing conversation. That is so what so is good. the story of the story is one of those critical insights that, again, differentiates Ted style messaging from Boy Scout merit badge in public speaking. And, <laughs> and I'm a graduate of all of those and I love them all and I wouldn't be here today were I not, you know, somebody who valued Toastmasters as a 14, 15, 16 year old Boy wow. Scouts and all that. But the highest level of communications these days and idea spreading is by far, Ted. Yeah. Yeah. The story. Yeah. Millions of views, billions of views. Why? Because they are intentionally designed to drive action using some new principles that fundamentally are game changers. I love that. I love that. I, I just feel like that question, if you didn't hear anything else today, that, that last question, what is the story that's going to be communicated when I'm not in the room? If you're not using that the next time you create a sales pitch, the next time you create a marketing Someone. marketing pitch, the next time you're sharing stuff with your employees or team members, you you missed out. That that question alone is gold and worth the worth the listen to this episode. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now I want to shift gears a little bit because you've got another little story that I want to get into. And I think it's just fascinating because you said that years ago, you were very blessed when you met your mentor and friend. And that is an interesting individual. Tell the listeners who your mentor has been all these years and who he is and how that all transpired. So last recession, smashed and crashed my nonprofit that I was starting in Tampa, Florida, been running for five years and licking my wounds and with my tail dragging, I made it home. <laughs> yes. And the perennial path is graduate school. So I ended up enrolling in seminary, as we talked about, to pursue this TED thing. Just prior to that first class, it's a Sunday morning. It's been so long since I've been in church that when my mother and I decided to go, and she's suffering from early onset Alzheimer's at the time, we were off by about an hour, you know. And so we got to the church. It's closed. This is a 10th Street-like town. There were no cars on the main street. There was no one. Except way up at the top of the hill, I could see this tall, white-haired sentinel, I call him today, <laughs> walk down on the opposite side of the street towards us. And his personality is such that he said, hi there, would you like a tour of this town? And my mother, who'd lost some of her grace as a result of the disease, ruffled up her feathers and said, this is my town. You don't. <laughs> To overcome that, I stepped into the middle of the street and he came towards me and we began a conversation that literally continues to this day, 10 odd years later. Lyman Coleman was the father of small groups in the church. His brother, Clem Coleman, wrote the master plan of evangelism. Lyman was the driver for Billy Graham. Oh my goodness. Billy Graham. And he was the young guy on the team that did the follow-up and 
after the crusades with the youth in the programming. Lyman understood at a highly perceptive level as one of the world's leading communicators in his day. He wrote the Serendipity Bible, for example. These small groups that were life-changing. Billy Graham, he, he saw a TED Talk and said, oh, that's nothing more than what Billy was doing in his day with the Crusades. Billy was, and I can't call Reverend Graham Billy, but the Lyman camp. Billy was clearly focused, story wrapped and action igniting. He didn't use that exact language because that came later mm. as I find and rehearsed and tried out and refined iteratively the system. But Billy Graham understood story, certainly at a different level than your average bear yeah. in the 50s. Yeah. He also had a call to action that was not boil the ocean, you know, save the whales. It was take a small step forward. Hmm. Right. And Lyman said Billy was doing that in the day when television was new. And Ted is doing it the same thing in the day when YouTube is new and social media is new. Wow. Wow. So history doesn't repeat itself. It rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love well, that. Yeah. Rhythms that really washed over me and redefined the whole course of my life and career. And it, I think it's so true because we all, there's this fundamental connection that stories bring to us mm. as we just, mm. we are sense makers. Our brains are sense makers and we're try, trying to look at the universe and find patterns and understand how we exist, why we exist, ask big questions. And stories just tend to always come back because they, a really great story connects with us and it helps us make sense of things. So many things in just a, in a short, great story. And it's interesting that no matter whether it's oration in ancient Greece or whether the TV comes out and now that's the new medium of communication, okay, then there's going to be some storyteller that fills that void. Something's going to fill that void with stories because that's what we're looking for. And then to now YouTube comes out and now up, oh, what's filling that void? TED Talks coming and filling that void. So I think it's just, I think it, it's, it has to be. It's like you said, it has to rhyme like that in throughout history because we're so drawn people's stories. So I think that's really true. a good insight, but well, that's so cool that you were able to meet him and still connect with him and talk to him today. And well, he, was, uh, uh, he was at our, our wedding. I mean, is now in Arizona and retired, but we talk every week or other week. And it's one of the most significant relationships of my adulthood. So let's talk about this. And just as we kind of round down the show, we've got, we just covered so much information today. And I just thank you for being so open with our listeners. I hope that everyone has realized how much of your process that you've shared, you've got this expertise, obviously, that you're bringing to it in spades and layering on top of that. But you've just shared so many great insights with our listeners today. What are just in terms of your habits or routines that you would share that may be on speaking or may not be, but if we've got young leaders, if we've got seasoned leaders, uh, people that lead organizations, what are some things that you would say if you were going to give them some advice, how Lyman maybe would give you advice uh, on some things, what would you share with the listeners to take home? This doesn't have anything to do with communications and TED, although it, overlaps to a degree, create margin. Mm. We're trying, always trying to cram too much in and then mm. these devices, the mm. iPhone, and the smart pad and all the rest of it are algorithmically designed to pack more into our life. Stepping back, Bill Gates didn't teach me this, but I read an article where he would take a week once a year and go to a cabin and read a stack of books, analog style. Mm. I remember as an entrepreneur, this is six years ago. Gosh, I wish I could do that. Right. <laughs> Except I make the schedules. I decide my schedule, my priorities. Mm. And so in that moment, I decided to create a different rhythm. Mm. One that designed itself to allow margin. Mm. And I call it Thinker Thursdays. Thinker Thursdays. I don't do any billable work on Thursdays. I don't do any back office work. I unplug and I read a real book with dog-eared pages. Nice. March. Nice. Um, sit down at lunch with a thinker. Mm. Sometimes Tedster, sometimes it's not, but it's a deep, longer, deeper conversation with somebody who's playing game, playing the game a couple levels above me. Right. And then I reflect on the page with a pen and paper. Read, connect, reflect. Thinker Thursdays. Now, not everyone is has the liberty to take a full day and do 
it's almost a four-day work week in that regard. But 90 minutes at some point in the day with 30 earmarked for each of those can make a huge difference in terms of having that time and that perspective to pop a new idea that could find its way into the hearts and minds of your employees or find its way onto a TED stage or fill in the blank, that margin, that time. I think that is so valuable. I think, listen, you, the TED whisperer has just dropped another nugget of wisdom. If one thing is for sure, it is this. If you want to have more time, you have to be deliberate about making it and carving it out. It is not going to appear. Everybody says, if I just had another eight hours a day, if you did and you can't manage the first 24 good, another eight hours is all it's going to do is make you just busier and just running for another eight hours. And it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get any more done. You're just going to be busy. I love that because if you're carving out, if you're carving out time on Thinker Thursday, you're probably able to, when you come out of that day, have such clarity about what's the most important thing at that moment that you're going to be moving in and doing things that are more important the other days of the week versus just sometimes I feel like we just get so ragged. We're just running and we're worried because we're not being productive. But then when you actually look at what you're producing, you're like, wait a minute, either I'm not productive because I'm just burnt out or I'm, I'm producing the wrong stuff. What's really important is over here, but I'm too busy to think about it to change directions. So now we know the ancient wisdom is pause for one day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> this is the work Sabbath in its own mm. way. Mm. Now, we're not actually off. There are books you need to read, aren't there? That's right. That aren't in the dress, that aren't, they're just stacking up in the corner of the office. 100%. There are significant players in your industry or world that you really should meet with and learn from. And thirdly, how, you know, writing, especially analog, writing is a, tool that we've lost absolutely this new generation absolutely and sifting and refining a story an idea a message worth sharing absolutely thinkerthursdays.com if you will it's not a for-profit it's just my little pet project wonderful but read connect and reflect reconnect and reflect all right thinker thursdays and listen here's the challenge i'm stepping on everybody's toes now I know there's some of you out there listening that just heard him say he takes Thinker Thursdays and he takes a whole day out of his week to just stop and reflect. And I know the first thought in your mind was, I could never do that. I could never. Why? I don't have that luxury. Okay, fair enough. But then you got to give yourself some permission. What what can you do? What can you do? Don't stop. Don't stop at what you can't do. You got to start with what you can do. So he said it. Where's 90 minutes? that you think you that stopping and reflecting and thinking is more important of whatever else you're doing in your week right now. Find it. Find 90 minutes. Can you do 90? If you can't do 90, can you do 30? I know you can wake up 15 minutes early. Do something. You got to do something. It's back to now. Now I'm talking like a, I'm, now I'm getting back into Ted space. Do something small. Can you do something small and just take that step? We actually have, it's funny you should say that, about writing being a lost art. We just this past summer came out with a self-awareness guided journal. So after we get off this show, I'll get your address and I want to mail you a copy because we have a few copies and you can put it on your stack as you go through Thinker Thursday. So I'd love to get your your feedback because it's it's really good. We've enjoyed it and um, getting it out there. And we've had quite a few people that have used it and seem to like it. So we'll send you a copy of that. But yeah, if you want a copy of the Self-Awareness Guide Journal, you can find those on thinkmovethrive.com. And if you want to enact your own Thinker Thursday, we'd love to be a resource that if you don't know what to write, you buy the Self-Awareness Guided Journal and you'll, you, it'll give you some great questions to think about. So we always close the show, Devin, by asking our guests if there's someone that they would like to hear as a guest on The Last 10%. And so is there anybody that you would like to hear on The Last 10% podcast? They may be somebody you know, it could be somebody you find Absolutely. interesting. Who would that be? Absolutely. Jeremy Connell Waite is the lead communications designer at IBA. And one, it's an English accent. Two, his experience as an entrepreneur, as an employee in a smaller organization, and as a leader in 
an organization the size of IBM, he brings stories that'll just captivate you. But what he always does is he lands the plane mm. clearly, cleanly, and safely and mm. points to where the back is. Ah, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. We'll have to, we'll have to connect with Jeremy and, uh, yeah, I love yeah, we'll see if we can't get him on the show. That sounds like a fantastic conversation. Listen, Devin, I cannot thank you enough for the time that you have given oh, to the no. last 10% today. This has just been fantastic. It's just been a great exercise. And maybe Think, Move, Thrive, we need to engage your services as well to make sure that we're sharing our message very clearly. That would, that would be a good but I want to learn pages of scratch notes with the insights that you dropped. So. <laughs> That's been good. Thank you again for your time today, and we'll have to have you back on an episode sometime in the future. Thank you, Dallas. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.